Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning and join me in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, we will walk through verses 1 through 29 this morning as we continue our study through the book of Genesis, a study that we began at the beginning of this year. And I hope that it has been an encouragement to you, a challenge to you. And uh, this morning, as we look at the text, I can assure you that it will continue to be challenging and encouraging convicting, and my hope and my prayer for us this morning is that we would walk away and say how great of a God we serve. You know, for me, one of the things that tells me a lot about someone is the movies that they quote. You can tell a lot about a person by the lines from movies that they quote. I'll let you just let your mind run wild right now. There's things that just pop up, and that says a lot about who you are, and just let you know, this may say a lot about who I am, but there's a movie, and, and this is not an endorsement of the movie by any stretch of the imagination, church, uh, but there's a movie back in uh, 2009, the movie was taken, some of you know the movie that I'm talking about, and uh, the plot line of the story is that there was... Uh, daughter of an ex-CIA operative, which just perfectly honest, I wish that was me, right? Ex-CIA. But she travels overseas and uh, she ends up being kidnapped. And uh, the kidnappers call and basically they let the dad know that the daughter has been kidnapped. And Liam Neeson, who is perfect for the role, This is the line. It's a line I've been practicing. I've got two daughters, and uh, I know at some point a boy's going to come around, and I've been practicing this. I've been working on this line. But this is what uh, he says in response to the kidnappers. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. I identify with that, right? But he says, I do have a particular set of skills. A set of skills that I've developed over a very long career, a set of skills that you should be absolutely terrified. So church, I'm thinking, that's me, right? Guy shows up at the doorstep, here I am, I'm ready. And then the rest of the movie is about him going and rescuing his daughter and recovering her As we look at the text this morning, as we look at Genesis chapter 19, we are also going to see a rescue mission. But what I want us to keep in mind is that for us, if we are followers of Jesus this morning, if we have trusted him as our savior, we have been rescued by him. And for us, we recognize that there is something unique about who Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, the God who took on flesh and came to this earth and lived a sinless and perfect life. It is only possible for us to be rescued from our state of sin by Him. What I want us to notice as we work through Genesis chapter 19 this morning is another rescue mission where this man that we've encountered already in the text is being rescued out of a place filled with sin. There's a tremendous amount of connection between what we've experienced as followers of Jesus and what Lot experiences here in Genesis chapter 19. And so I want to read for us 
Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, working through verse 29 this morning. And as we always do every single week, we'll walk back through the text together and ask the Lord to open our eyes that we'd be able to see what he wants us to see there. This is what God's word says, Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to meet the men at the entrance, and he shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to it. It's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one and my life will be saved? And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, 
for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning and walk through it together, I want you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together. It's a great truth that all of us need to understand and to comprehend, and it's this, our greatest need, our greatest need is to be rescued from sin. And the greatest news in all the world is that rescue is possible through Jesus Christ. Our greatest need that every single person on this planet has is to be rescued from sin. And the wonderful news, church, is that we can be through Jesus Christ. As we walk through the text this morning, I just want you to know there's a lot that's here. Uh, There's a lot that's here that's disturbing. And some of you have parents of incoming sixth graders and you're like, why this Sunday? Did you have to go there, pastor? And the reality is it's just what's next. If you think this is bad, wait till next Sunday, right? Don't read ahead, just come, okay? But if you remember a few weeks ago as we were walking through uh, this covenant that God had made with Abraham. God had promised to Abraham he would bless him, make him into a great nation. And we encountered Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And there came a point where they diverged from one another because the land was not able to sustain both of them and all of the livestock that they had. And says to Lot, Lot, you pick whatever land that you want to go to. You go to that land and I will go in the opposite direction. And we found out that Lot, in his mind, picked what he thought was the absolute best land, the land that was green, the land that was lush, the land that he looked at and said, I know that if I go here, I will be able to prosper. We find out that it was in this city called Sodom, and these cities are going to be joined together, Sodom and Gomorrah, in the text this morning, and what we find out very quickly and what we were introduced to just briefly when Lot chose that location to go, is that it was a city that was filled with sin. It was the Las Vegas before Las Vegas existed. And at this point in time, we find out last week that it was the angels who had been sent from the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to Abraham and said, I'm going to destroy this city. I'm going to destroy where Lot lives. Remember, Abraham 
began to intercede on behalf of Lot, on behalf of the city, and said, Lord, if there's, if there's 50 that are righteous, would you spare the city? He works his way all the way down to if there's 10 that are righteous, would you, disp- would you spare the city? And at that point in the time, the Lord said, yes. If I can find 10 righteous that are there, I will spare the city. What we're going to find out is that it did not exist. There were not 10 righteous in the city. And so as we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 19, I want to work first through verse 11. And for us to consider this truth, it's number one, we must remember sin always over promises and under delivers. Sin always over promises and under delivers. If you want to make just a quick connection point there, I was trying to think, what's the best explanation that I could have for that? And I just simply came, Pastor Scott's not going to be happy about this, a taco from Taco Bell. Can I get a witness, church? Over promise, always under delivers. I want you to notice that that's exactly what sin does over promises and under delivers notice what's going on in the text the angels came to Sodom verse 1 lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom this would have been a position of prominence within the city to the elders of the city would have sat at the gate they would have been the ones that when there were disputes that came in that they would be able to interact with those who were having disputes they were the leaders within the city. And it says Lot saw these two angels coming in and he says to them in verse two, turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise up early and go on your way. You know, you look at that and you say, man, that was a great response from Lot. But what I want you to recognize is that Lot knows where he lives. Lot knows the problems that exist in the city in which he is an elder, a city in which he has risen to prominence, likely because of his great wealth, likely because he was being blessed as a result of God blessing Abraham as well. And so here he says, hey, come to my house. You can rise and then you can go on your way. And the two angels say, no, we're going to sit. We're going to stay in the middle of the city. And Lot says... Mm, That's not good. Lot knows the type of city that he is in. And he says in verse 3, Press them strongly. And they turned aside to him and entered his house. It says he made him a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, this is where things begin to take a very, very dark turn. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old. And if you're underlining in your Bible, underline this next phrase, all the people to the last man. What did they do? They surrounded the house. They called out, verse 5, to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. They're not interested in an introduction. That's not what they're saying. The great tragedy that's going on in the city of Lot is that it has become so perverse, so stained with sin that things that are being talked about and done within the city leads to this moment where strangers come in and this is what those who are within the city decide they want. 
I want you to notice in verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and he shut the door after him and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. I want you to know that Lot in this moment knows that what they're wanting is wickedness. He doesn't have to parse that. He doesn't have to question that. He simply looks and says, what they're wanting to do is wicked. It is wrong. It is sinful. And he says to them, guys, do you realize how wicked that you are being? I'll be honest, I struggle with verse 8. I don't understand how he could even say what he says here But Lot says, I have two daughters who've not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Now, I've read some commentaries that say, you know, Lot knew that they wouldn't go that direction. He knew that that was not something that they would do. And so he threw that out there as a decoy, hopefully to diffuse the situation. I don't think Lot was that great of a negotiator. I think he was trying to preserve these two men at the expense of his own family. He says, let me bring them out to you. Do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they've come under the shelter of my roof. I want you to notice in verse 9, but they said, the crowd, stand back. They said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. We will deal worse with you than we will with them. They pressed hard against Lot and drew near to the point of breaking the door of his house down. It says the men, the angels, reached out their hands. They brought Lot into the house with them, and they shut the door, and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. I want us to backtrack for just a little bit. Indulge me if you will, because I want to look back at Genesis chapter 3 as we talk through what's going on here in Genesis chapter 19. I want to remind us of how we get to this point. And I, and I would simply say how we get to the point where we are in our culture today. And so when you look and realize is in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, that God created Adam and Eve, created them perfectly, and that they enjoyed a relationship with God without sin until Genesis chapter 3, they chose, instead of walking in obedience to God, to disobey God and to take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had said, do not eat the fruit from that tree. We see that as soon as that happens, the promise of God is fulfilled, that they experience not only spiritual death, but ultimately would experience physical death as well. The result of sin, Scripture is crystal clear, is both spiritual and physical death. And we see that it's not very long after that, as you continue to walk through the book of Genesis, we've unpacked this together as a church family, that you look in Genesis chapter 4 and you see that Cain kills his brother Abel, and you fast forward to Genesis chapter 6 and you see the Lord say that the wickedness, the sin in the earth is so great that he's going to destroy with the flood. He preserves Noah and his family. You think maybe that would fix it, maybe that would fix the sin problem, but it doesn't. In fact, you continue and you look forward, you recognize that at every single turn, you see 
The problem of sin grows increasingly on the earth. Now, here's the thing that I want us to recognize and to understand this morning is that sin always entices that it will give you what you desperately need. I don't know if you've ever seen an illusionist, someone who can do sleight of hand, make you think something that's actually not true. That's exactly what sin does. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin promises progress. You got to move beyond your staunch ways and open your mind and move forward, but the reality is it leads to chaos. Sin promises delight. You can have whatever your heart desires, but the reality is it leads to destruction. Sin promises freedom. Set yourself free. You can pursue whatever your heart desires. And the reality is it leads to bondage. You know, when you look at what's going on in the first part here of Genesis chapter 19, I don't know about you, but I read this and my heart breaks. And then you flip on the TV or you scroll through social media or you just walk around and you realize that we live in this exact environment. And for us as followers of Jesus this morning, it is absolutely heartbreaking to realize that this culture in which we lived has been so deceived by sin. Because sin always overpromises and under delivers. In fact, when you look through the scriptures, you realize that Romans chapter 1 paints a very, very dark picture. It's what we see here. It's what we see in our culture today that instead of creation worshiping their creator, instead of us worshiping God the way God intends for us to worship him, instead we worship created things. And when you boil it down, ultimately we begin to worship ourselves. You think about some of the mantras in our culture today. Just follow your heart. That's the dumbest thing you could do. Because the scripture says our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Why would you want to follow your heart? Just do what feels good. You can have whatever you want. There are no restraints. That's the culture in which we live. And the problem is that people think that's exactly what they need and it's what they desire. And the reality is it leads ultimately to destruction. In fact, when you look at Romans chapter 1, a culture that has been totally turned over to itself, is a culture where sexual confusion and sexual brokenness is on display throughout society. Now church, step back for just a second and ask yourself a question. Isn't that where we live? That's the world in which we live. A world that says you can have whatever you want. It won't cost you anything. But what we recognize and understand that a life of sin will cost you everything. For the individual, 
What we realize is that sin separates us from God, that if we die in our sins, never having been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for us, we will spend eternity separated from God in hell. There's no questions, there's no buts, there's no ifs or ands to that. God's Word is crystal clear on that. I want you to think about it in relation to the culture in which we live. Because here's what's interesting. Lot is wrapped up in this culture. You know, what's interesting to me in that is that as Lot is wrapped up in this culture, there's, there's a lot of questions I have. And it makes it even more complicated because when you read through the rest of Scripture, when you get to Second Peter chapter 2, you realize that the picture is painted that, Rot, that Lot is a righteous man. And I'm looking at this and going, okay, I read verse 8 and I don't get that. Where he's willing to just give his two daughters to the crowd. I, I, my head just trying to wrap around that. But what we realize and understand is that Lot has experienced the things of God. Lot was right with Abraham throughout the time when Abraham was being promised by the Lord that he would bless him and make him into a great nation, that Lot had experienced that. Lot had walked through that. And so at some level, Lot is perfectly aware that where he lives is problematic. He's perfectly aware. In fact, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 tell us that he is perplexed within his heart at the wickedness within the city that he lives. Now, here's the thing. You may look at that and say, I had an easy solution for Lot. Move, right? And yet, what I find interesting is that there's a couple of things at play, I think, here. One, we have to recognize and understand that it's possible for the people of God to be within a pagan culture and make an impact in that culture. To make an impact in people's lives who are far from God, which means for us as a church family who is within a culture that is running headlong into sin, not interested in the things of God, if we're not careful, we will become so jaded and look at the culture and go, you just don't understand. You don't recognize Look how bad you are. Look how wrong you are when the reality is God's word is clear for us as followers of Jesus that we have been placed exactly where we were at this time in society, not so that we could wring our hands and say what a terrible place in which we live, but so we could live on mission because we have the greatest news that has ever been proclaimed. And that is there is hope through Jesus Christ. Your sins can be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done. We see that sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Don't you notice in verses 12 through 14, and then again in verse 23 through 26, as we see this promise fulfilled by the Lord. Once you notice the second truth, we must remember God's judgment against sin is certain and devastating. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, 
bring them out of the place. Notice verse 13, we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The promise that's made here is the Lord is getting ready to destroy this city as a result of its wickedness. You say, man, that seems harsh. No, that is perfectly in character with our God. A God who takes sin seriously. A God, as we talked last week, who is perfectly holy and righteous, who is, yes, merciful and has given ample opportunity for those within the city to turn to Him in repentance, but they've chosen not to. And as a result, the Lord is ready to send judgment. We've seen this take place throughout book of Genesis so far. We've seen God's judgment against sin with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. We saw it in Genesis chapter 4. Fast forward, we see it with the flood with Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7. We see it moving forward from there at the Tower of Babel. We've been walking our way through. We've seen God's judgment. We've seen God's justice. We've seen God punish sinners but all the while extending mercy and grace for any who would turn to Him. And yet what we recognize is that there are none within this city save Lot and his family who are interested in the things of the Lord. It's heartbreaking. It is devastating. And yet God's justice is true. Now, here's the question that we have to ask ourselves in the midst of that. What about our sin? If God exercises judgment against sin, what about us? Because we said earlier that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Is there any hope in that? What we're reminded of is that our hope rests in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Because God's judgment will come against sin when we look forward to the end of the story. And if you ever come to a point as a follower of Jesus where you are so discouraged with the way the culture is going, where you just have become so angst-driven with what's going on in society, can I just encourage you, read the end of the book. Read the end. Because the promise is that Jesus Christ will return and He will judge in righteousness. That sin will be punished. And that those of us who are in Christ, those of us whose sins have been forgiven, will experience being with Him for all eternity. You may have come in this morning and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, Pastor, where do I sit in this story right now? And I'll just say to you, you sit in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and God's judgment is ready to fall against your sin. Is there any hope? Yes. There is hope through Jesus Christ, life, death, His resurrection. Your sins can be forgiven. Jesus Christ stood in your place on the cross. He paid the punishment against sin on your behalf. He extends to you the free gift of salvation to be received today. Receive that. 
I want you to notice that verses 15 through 22 and then 27 through 29, we see this rescue mission. It says, beginning in verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. The men, listen, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside of the city. This beautiful picture here of Lot being rescued from this city that was about to experience destruction, that God acts on his behalf. I want you to write down this third truth. We must remember our only hope to escape the judgment of God is to be rescued. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want you to know that you have been rescued. You say, Pastor, that makes it sound like I was in a really bad place. Yes, you were. Dead in your sins and trespasses against God, deserving of God's wrath against your sin. Deserving of eternal separation from Him in hell. That's what you deserved, but because of God's grace and mercy extended to you, you have been rescued. You have been saved from your sins, from the punishment that was due you. Which if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you can't say amen to that, hit your neighbor, okay? That is the greatest news that has ever been proclaimed. And here's what that means for you and for me, that if that is true, if we have experienced the rescue of God in our lives, what then should our lives be focused on? We have been placed in this culture, in this community, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school for a purpose and a mission. And that is you are able to join the rescue mission that God has on this planet. Where you are able to throw out to people who don't know Jesus the only hope that they could experience in this life, and that is salvation through Jesus Christ. You throw the lifeline to them. You say to them, I want you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to know the hope that I know. I want you to know the joy of walking with the Lord that I have experienced. I want you to know that your sins can be forgiven. I want you to know that you can walk in relationship with your creator. Church family, that is our mission. And if we don't take that mission seriously, there's one of two things at play. One... We don't truly understand what God has done in our lives. We minimize how great of a sinner we were and how great of a salvation we've experienced. And if that's where you sit this morning, if you be honest with me and say, Pastor, I've, I got saved and I kind of got over it, this is an opportunity for you to rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then the other response is we just simply sit back as Pharisees and look at everybody else and say, man, they really are bad. 
And the reality is people who don't know Jesus act like people who don't know Jesus. And we have an opportunity, a privilege to share Jesus with them. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads. As our worship team makes their way back up, you may have come in today and for you, the reality is you sit in this moment dead in your sin. You've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, Pastor, what happens if I die today? Scripture is clear that if you die in your sin, you will experience the judgment of God. But you don't have to. You have an opportunity right now to receive what Jesus Christ has done for you. His life, His death, His resurrection, His payment for your sin on the cross. You have the opportunity by faith right now to respond and receive the gift of salvation. That's the step that you need to take. I want to encourage you in just a few moments as we have an opportunity to sing. You can grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand, one of our pastors, and just say, I need to take that step of trusting Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you've got some questions that we can answer and you want to fill out a connection card. Just ask to meet with a pastor. We'd love to meet with you and talk with you. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, my question for you, a question I want you to mull over in your mind right now is, are you part of the rescue mission? Do you wake up every single day looking at your life, looking at the places that you go as a mission field where there are people who are far from God who will die and spend eternity separated from Him? And that He has graciously saved you and put you in that place to share Christ with them. Would you take that mission seriously? Would you commit your life to that? My hope and prayer this morning is there are names that are popping up in your head, coworkers, classmates, neighbors who you know don't know Jesus. I want to encourage you Take these moments that we have at the end of this service to lift them up by name before the Lord. Ask God to open doors of opportunity for you to take the greatest news to them. Father, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts and our lives. God, that we who have experienced the grace and the mercy of God, the salvation that was purchased by the blood of Jesus, God, we would rejoice in that. We would celebrate that. And God, we would be intentional to share that with people that we meet day in and day out. And God, if there are those here that have not yet taken that step of trusting Jesus as their Savior, God, would you give them the courage, the boldness today to take that step, to receive the free gift of salvation? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Pastors are down front. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you, talk with you. You come as the Lord leads.